This week on Beyond the Vibe podcast, we have Baz from Massive Wagons. He said, I remember him saying, I've, I've, caught, with this, I've caught with this riff, it sounds so status quo, it's unbelievable, I don't, I don't know if we should use it, you know, because it's, it, it, might just, it might just be the, the final nail in the coffin. If you could tour with one band from the past and one band from the present, who would they be? Fucking hell. <laughs> Everybody says that. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Vibe, the show that cuts deep into the world of music. My name is Aaron Day. I'm lead guitarist in UK band These Wicked Rumours. And I'm here. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> With music, videographer, and photographer, it's Mr. Ryan Vasey <laughs> in the house. Literally. <laughs> Literally, yeah, in the house. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing all right. Um, Good. Yeah, I've just been. Uh... Listen to music, I suppose. Uh, do you know what? It's because it, obviously the oh. the lockdown is is cut off most avenues in our uh, <laughs> yeah. in our existence. Uh, it's nice that music has remained in whatever form you intend to listen to it. You know, I know it sounds like a very corny statement, but you no, know, it's not. It's nice. I've found myself like you've mentioned many times on the podcast, listening to new things, listening to old things. Uh, I, I like getting nostalgic. You know, I like listening to stuff that I haven't listened to since I was. Like twelve or thirteen, mm. you know. I listened to Trivium's album, The Crusade, right. the other day. I don't know if you're ever a big Trivium fan. Um, there was there was a little, there was a tiny little window where I listened to like Bullet for My Valentine, mm. Trivium and stuff. Started so wearing beanies. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I, I went. I went all out, man. I was wearing like uh, tight purple skin. <laughs> I love the story about like, two, Ryan's two belts. Uh, you, had to, you had to have one that went under your ass, didn't you? Yes. And uh, eyeliner and Ooh. long black hair. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. That, I had a really fat ass, so it didn't help. So the belt would like hold my ass up. Anyone that knows <laughs> me at this point. And it's weird because like when I was like that age, the whole retro thing that I really identify with now, I, I wasn't into at no, all. No, it didn't really. exist. No, that's it. And it's really weird because obviously a lot of people who are maybe older have probably seen that thing with you know the sixties and seventies and the eighties because like in terms of that whole. Yeah, lot, I went backwards. I went eighties, mm. seventies. This is it, similar to myself yeah. in some ways. You know, I was sort of more, more. We're going vintage. I'm probably more Motley Crue in the rounds about 13, 14, yeah. you know, which is what a lot of them sort of teenager bands, you know, in 2000s were maybe doing, you know. And then it went, like you say, took through away the skinny jeans, whacked on the player flares, you know, and, and there's that nice transition. Whereas my dad had the other thing where it was very 60s. 70s and then by the 80s he was you know denim waistcoats with loads of patches leather jackets mm. you know so it's it's interesting how, how time moves on you know and bands obviously have to acclimatise to that as well you know? yeah yeah, it's, it's a weird one isn't it when yeah. you think about it but I like that I like that feeling of listening to listening to bands you know and and them just bringing back particular memories and it works with this this week this week's subject as well because when I was about 12 or 13 mm. I was a singer and then my balls, right. then my balls dropped. And I, I, I was like, I need to fix up and learn to play guitar because this isn't going to work. Mm. But I was, and I was obsessed with, with like a select, few selection of front men. And uh, as our subject is this week, is what is a charismatic front man, or what yeah. makes a charismatic front man? Mm. So straight away, Rye, give us a charismatic front man. It's an open one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I will say Bruce Dickinson. Ooh. Good choice. You know, he's he's got he's got a bit of everything in there. Yes, he? yeah, and he's evolved as well. Mm. This is it. He's changed over time. I mean, he went from the uh, the tight trouser <laughs> thing. He, he used to wear some red spandex tight leather trousers, man. They're beautiful. Mm. So <laughs> and he's evolved as well because obviously he went in the in the early two thousands when Brave New World and that came out. He had the short hair. Yeah, you know, he used to run around in camo. Whereas now he's gone back to looking a bit wizardy. Mm. You know, the hair's come back and he's, he's he's got that. I don't know where he's got that from. I don't know how he grows hair that quick. I know. So what? So what, so which Bruce are you saying his whole career or are you saying? Yeah, like I'm saying it in general, Bruce Dickinson. Because throughout the ages, if you were to pick any era of Bruce. He's got everything. Obviously, he's got the vocals. Mm. I mean, that's a given. Okay. Um, and yeah, arguably the most important thing. Um, but he also has that ability to control a crowd. Yes. Um, and he, he commands the stage. He's the guy that, if you look around, if you go to an Iron Maiden gig, he's the one that people are waiting for. And he'll run out 
like, like does that running jump, and he still does it today. He does yeah. <laughs> a workout. It's like yeah. Zumba for for Brucey. Yeah, and he's he's got this whole theatrical thing going. It's, I mean, I I compare Iron Maiden in general to being like theatre. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's he's kind of like a. Th- he reminds me of like a theatre actor. So would you say that in terms of that charismatic frontman, they're the things you're looking for with someone like Bruce? Is that ability to hold a crowd, mm. but then also sort of that individual energy that he brings to it? Cause yeah, you, you almost can't watch him like he's because he's running around all the time. Like yeah, it's an energy thing for me. Like um, you know, you can you can have different types of thing. It doesn't all have to be a set thing, mm. but it, it's an energy and a, and a way. To, to command a crowd and that can be in different ways you know you can you can not do anything and still control a crowd yeah, I, yeah. I believe it's so all yeah. in the eyes man this is it I, like, I love the notion of um, which Jay from Rival Sons does a bit and Jim, and Jim Morrison used to do a lot and there's obviously a massive inspiration there mm. for Jay with Jim um, and it's almost that thing where you stand on the stage you and stare, you just look motionless it? like yeah. you know you're going to start a fight with someone but the intensity works really well because it brews this this power behind what they're trying to do it's a different diff, completely different thing and this mm. is the key with it as well i think with being a charismatic frontman is it's got to be completely individual to yourself and i think it has to be an expression of who you are as well because crowds rock fans in particular are smart mm. we can spot a bullshitter yes. quite quickly yeah. do you know what i mean we're very good at that me and my dad used to stand in the crowd and we'd be like watching support band and be like he shit he is. <laughs> I don't know who's trying to be, but it's not him, you know. And you can see that a mile off, and I think that's the key. And my my immediate thought is Freddie Mercury, mm. you know. And Fred's Fred's Freddie, yeah, Clark, very easy, you know, sort of mm. example. But obviously, there's two different eras to Freddie, and I've always yeah. been pre 1980 in terms of Queen, you know, until because mm. obviously he had long hair, you know, he had this, and it was, and not just his his overall stage persona but his voice as well and particularly with them 70s queen albums you know it, it was it was very sort of eccentric and and i felt that freddie was just an extension of all of that you know mm. I'd, I'd love to have seen freddie around sort of 1975 because I, I genuinely don't know what it would be and i love that i don't i don't know like about to see him control the crowd in that way and then obviously if you go into very stereotypical sort of 80s freddie it's the radio gaga it's um it's the oh you know yeah. but it's genius because obviously if you're going out at that point and you're you're doing Wembley or something you've got them in the palm of your hand mm. and I think that's another key thing for a charismatic front man well, he's, he's sorry to cut you off there but Not he's, at all. he's made it a cliche now to do stuff like yeah, that yeah that's it which proves that you know that's like the height of uh, you know of being that charismatic front man isn't it you know, if you if you can essentially have something like we talked last week about the Jimmy Page, um, you know the double, double neck, neck, yeah, yeah, the double neck, um, where you it becomes your thing, iconic, nobody, doesn't nobody it? Nobody yeah. else can do it then. Yeah, it's well, like, the, I like the the Robert Plant, you know, dock of the hand that we take. Yes, the piss we out talk of. about this. Great, don't yeah, we do. We the, really take the piss out of it. Terrible. Uh, poor old Josh, who we we we've torn into a little bit sometimes. Because it's a progressive unfleet frame, yeah. yeah. And, it only uh, took us about twelve minutes to mention Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> it, it ties into it. Poor guy, he does the hand thing occasionally. Mm. I mean, I do it in the mirror just to make myself feel cool every so often, but <laughs> it doesn't doesn't many work. Young, it feels many arms. Yeah, but that that's the thing. Every time he does it, I'm going. Robert Plant. <laughs> it's very, it's very Robert Plant. Yeah, it's that kind of he's made it all his, of that as well. It? Yeah, yeah, you know. and that, and I suppose that's the beauty of being the ones that came before. But at the same time, it's you know I like that iconic sort of thing because it's it's smart. You know, I feel that this is premeditated. I mean, you as well. It's inspired. You know, I think we're all products of, of what we've done. I, the first kick I played with Rivers, on a different angle from a guitarist point of view, mm. I'd built up a portfolio of, of moves in terms of how I performed on stage, just right. p- taken from different things, a lot of slash, you know, mm. a bit of Cadillac free. Cause I was really into their lead singer and it's, and it's all kind of built into me naturally over time. Cause I'm just absorbing it. So when it came to the point of performance, 
I just naturally came out of me. And I'm sure you, even though you're not a musician, if you if you were to, to 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 learn and get in the band and stuff, I think you'd be the same. It'd be like it takes confidence, you know, and, and practice and re- constantly doing it. But I think you do naturally fall into that, definitely. Yeah, I think I think I'd end up like Ozzy. I'd just be running around going, <laughs> "Hey, hey, 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 hey. it's the greatest thing in the world." Uh, in the middle of a love song, <laughs> fucking go <Yeah>. on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you. I mean, Ozzy's on autopilot. I mean, Ozzy's an interesting conversation <laughs> without blabbering all these. Well, he, I would say, I was going to throw is, him is, in. Is Ozzy charismatic? I was going to throw him in next, you know. Or is he lovable? I th- I believe he's unconventionally charismatic. Mm. And my, my point is, if you were to look at all the things Ozzy does on paper, it's the worst front man in the world. <laughs> but, um, because he, he does all the stereotypical things. You know, like throwing his hands up in the air, going "Come on!" Ah, all these kind of things. But there's there's an endearing charm to it all, yeah. and I think in that that makes him charismatic. That's my argument. Yeah, I think my problem <laughs> is I I too strictly kind of put charismatic as to somebody. That I think I it can be more. I, I do. I think yeah. I think it, when when you look up the definition, it's something like um an an action that evokes devotion from others. This you is know, it, it's, it goes back to that sort of church preacher thing and mm. I love that notion with the vocalist. Ironically looking like a church preacher today. <laughs> My constant constant goal. <laughs> I feel underdressed today. What yeah. I don't like about Ryan is that when I raise my hand he doesn't be quiet and uh, we're working on it very slowly. But I love that notion because it's very much that like, you know, you know, congregations, the crowd and mm. and it's and he's very charismatic. And Ozzy could do that. Fuck me. If Ozzy was a preacher, he'd be a sick preacher, man. That's what I'm saying. And he, he hates American preachers as well. That's yeah. He's a big thing about that. Yeah, yeah. What was the song? Oh, I was going to fly out some wonderful trivia then. Um, but yeah. No, I think I think that's the fair t- example of all the different types of front men you have. You know, you often... I don't see front men that play instruments as charismatic. Yes. That come to my mind. Lemmy's Lemmy's got an icon and got his own identity, but was he charismatic? Mm. Phil Linnett. Phil Linnett was charismatic. Yes, yeah, that's a good one. For example, Mark Bolan. Yeah, yeah, fair. When you start to have the conversation, you bring it to mind. If there's any others that anyone listening can think of, please yes. do comment them below. Yes. What is your ultimate charismatic lead singer? Yes. And there's a tale on from that. Our mm. interview this week is with Baz from Massive Wagons. Who I do you know what? I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I hadn't properly seen Wagons until we gigged with them in Wolves mm. um, a couple of years back now, and uh, was putting our gear away. And uh, they're just about to start. And um, uh, my Mrs. Jade's from Wolves, and she was she was knocking about in the crowd. Um, and I went and joined up with her. Mm. And as soon as they came out, Baz just had it all in the palm of his hand. And for me, that is the ultimate compliment. Mm. So we're here with Baz from Massive Wagons. Thanks for coming on, Baz. Absolute pleasure to be chatting with you. So the reason we feelings mutual. (laughs) So the reason we invited Baz on this week is we're discussing what makes a singer charismatic. Mm. Yes. So uh, speaking of that. (laughs) You should have got the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, have somebody like Benji Webb on or something like that. <laughs> he, he was busy. <laughs> was it all right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, like, let's go like right back to the beginning for you, Baz. Um, where did it all start for right. you as a vocalist? Where did? Uh, well, to be honest, I, I was quite a, I was quite a late starter to singing. I was I started singing at like. Well, I was singing at home and stuff, uh, but you, you, without any confidence, without any platform to to go out and do it, you always think you're crap, don't you? You know. Uh, and then, and then, and then, and then the lads were, were putting some music together. It was must have been 2009, and then we were just in a pub and a drunk conversation. And I said they were short of a singer. It was nothing serious at the time. I was 26 or 27. I said I'll have a go, um, and that was it. Really, I, I never. Uh, I'd always, always had it in my head that I'd like to have a go at it. And I always thought I'd be good, but you always tell yourself, you're not really good. You're just, you know, nobody's going to think you're good, mate. So <laughs> I had a go and, uh, yeah, I, I was all right, yeah. And uh, and there we go. I, I wish I wish I could have started a lot sooner. I wish, I wish I'd have had that opportunity to start when I was kind of 20, you know, that would have been, but, you know, whatever. There you go. 
but yeah, about 26 or 27 I was, yeah. And well, so was Waggins your, your first band then? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was, I was in, um, I was in a, I played bass guitar in a in a cover band for just less than a year before that. Right. I mean, that was that was just playing pubs. But yeah, but Massive Wagons is is the first band, first band we've ever done anything, written any music with. Anyway, yeah, definitely. So I would, I would say so. Yeah, it's all about apart from Stephen, who was in it. We poached him from a band when Carl went. Um, when Carl was in the band, it was all of our first band. None of us had been in a band before. Oh, that's really cool, man. Because yeah. a lot of the times you don't you don't find that you don't have that like organic thing. And there's something magical about everyone's first band because mm. you've all got that like organic thing between all of you, and I think you probably cherish it a little bit more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I, and I think we we never you see so many bands that, that that come along and immediately have success, and you think, wow, who's this band that have come out of nowhere and is immediately doing good things? And then you look into it and you you realise. They've come from they've come from other bands and they've already got all the knowledge and who to talk to, you know. So they can rise up the ladder quite quick. Um, but we, we, we've taken we, we didn't know anything when we started, you know. As you don't when you first band, you don't know what who's the promo, what's a promoter or who do you speak to about gigs, any of that stuff. And it's, we've gone through all together. That, so you do you sort of cherish it a bit more. Um, Plus, I was 27, and I I wasn't in the I wasn't being asked throwing it away and starting another band. It, <laughs> you know, it was like this was either work or or that was it. You know, but yeah, it's um, we've, we've all travelled this road together, and it's been good. And uh, I think that's what makes it, like I say, it's, it's more of a, more of a valuable thing between us now, definitely. No, that's, that's a really cool um, cool vibe for it. I mean, so so you you did you come together in in 2009 then? Yeah, we came, we came together in 2009. And uh, we, we were a, we were a cover band, really. Me, me and Adam were in the old cover band together. It was like an indie cover band. Adam joined the, that band, and and he brought like because um, I had just learned the bass guitar, and I, I was I just wanted to play any music. I was playing sort of indie indie stuff, really popular radio indie music, whatever, uh, just to play. And uh, then Adam joined the band, and he brought this like love a flying V, you know. <laughs> and they like heavy music <laughs> and me and him were gone straight away and, and then when that band sort of fell apart me and him stuck together and thought why don't we why don't we put a cover band together you know he'd been playing with some of the lads and then we decided to write some music and it just all kind of went from there really and uh, so it was, it was kind of me and adam this just his love of, of rock music yeah uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, we've, been, we've been doing this together yeah since about 2009 yeah i mean how, how quickly yeah. did the sound of the band begin to form, man? Because obviously you kind of, like you say, you'd come from like doing indie cover stuff with, and then Adam came in with this more rockier age. How quickly, as you started to play together, did that the, kind of the Massive Wagon sound come together or did that take quite a number of years? Uh, I think <laughs> I think the sound was there all the time. I just think maybe the shit, the shit songs were there for quite a while. I, just <laughs> I think it took us a while to... <laughs> I mean, uh, when you you'll know when when people latch onto your band, they kind of start to like everything about you, and then they can go, they can revisit the early stuff, and they love that as well. They go, this, the first album's brilliant, I love it, and I'm just like, fuck off, no, <laughs> don't listen to that. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, but we, I mean, yeah, I, I think we've always had this rough and rough and ready edge about us. Um, there's never been anybody in the band. It's, it's always kind of been the Gibson Marshall thing. There's never been many effects or much trickery. It's, it's always been a bit rough around the edges and a bit loose, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think it's. I, just, I think our styles developed over the years, but maybe our sounds always been there from the beginning. We were, at the very start, it was all sort of down tuned kind of stuff, really. So we were listening to a lot of Blackstone Cherry. That around that time, that that's when they were sort of appeared on the scene, if you like. We were like, oh, these guys, and then Airborne. It was like it seemed to have been like a. When we started, there was like a resurgence of classic rock music. It, it's mm. sort of been stagnant for years. It was we, just we, like the old dinosaurs. It's, it still is, but those, yeah. guys, those guys came along and like just kicked it up the ass a bit. Mm. Yeah, me and Ryan spoke, spoke a lot about this. When we chatted with um, with Rich and Pete from New Wave of Classic Rock, because me and Ryan kind of, um, we were probably about fucking, it's not to make you feel old, but we were <laughs> probably about 16 around um, that sort of time. Do you know what I mean? So that was kind of like airborne. Uh, I feel that was the first, the first wave of like the, cl- new, the new wave of Classic Rock. This. 
Mm. You got like Blackstone, Airborne. You know, there's a couple more bands like The Answer were knocking about. You know, and then that yeah, wave yeah. kind of kind of died, and now it's kind of resurging again. You know, and, and I was the same. Bands like Blackstone yeah. were massive for me, man, because it was mm. like everything that I loved from the 70s or 80s, but with that really modern edge to it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree that that time. I mean, as well, at that time, I, I'd. It all came together for me. I'd just bought my own house for the first time, and I, you know, the, we was knocking around as, as mates and drinking and we're in the pubs and stuff, and going to watch live bands a lot every weekend. And Blackstone Cherry on a circuit, and Airborne, and Alter Bridge were starting to come. It, it appeared, and I don't know. It was just a real. I mean, I mean, we. Were, I was banging to like you say the answer, and and the Black Spiders as well. I mean, I, we went to watch Airborne on tour, and Black Spiders supported them, and. Absolutely. I mean, especially the Black Spiders and the Answer and a band called Jet Black, who are no longer that. going. Yeah, they yeah. kind of, they kind of showed me that it could be done. You know, it was, it was like, it was like they showed the the road where you needed to go, and that it wasn't a pie in the sky dream to actually make music and have people pay and to listen to it. You know, it was like, well, they they can do it. I can relate to these guys, so there's no reason why we we can't do it. You know. No, that's that's the whole rock and roll dream. I mean, kind of progressing from where you were at that point to probably when you started really feeling like you were going down that journey. The first time I was made aware of Wagons was when you released Welcome to the World with with Ratio in Tokyo, kind of beginning to get airplay. Uh, with Ratio in particular, man, I kind of me and Ryan were chatting about it, we, and it was probably what you're saying about the whole sort of rough and ready and that simple foundation. I've, with the lyrics and the video in particular, I immediately felt there was that connection with sort of working people. You know, what's the story? with that song to, to be to be honest ratio was a kind of strange one really I, I, I don't I don't really I don't really remember I don't really remember as the song really mentor mentor right lot <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna shatter a few illusions isn't it uh, <laughs> it, it was just a bit of a nonsensical song really it just sort of came out I, I don't know where it came from or what it what it kind of means it, it, it kind of it kind of hints at it's kind of a bit of a sad song really I suppose mm. um, it's kind of like a, 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 a no hope song you kind of you kind of you kind of always make those plans to do other things like as soon as I learn to fly I'll get us out of here well that's never going to happen is it so you kind of you kind of you kind of stuck on the track you, you're going down you're kind of stuck on this stuck on this this road, um, and you, you always have these dreams of doing other things, but I don't know. It's just, it's just sometimes it's it's impossible to to, to sort of to realise them. It's a strange song. I I, I hate getting asked about it because I, I have no idea what it, what it's about really. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it a long time ago. Maybe it was just a place I was in. I don't, I don't mm. know. Oh. Maybe it yeah. just they just came out of you naturally because you know that's why people connect with it so much because it's just a natural thing you know it's because yeah. you've not forced it or tried to convey anything I mean I, the biggest thing I took from it is I always think of like Lemmy did this did an interview once and he spoke about how how important sort of rock music is for people who fucking work all week feel like they've been a, yeah. treated like a twat and then on a Friday and a Saturday night they can go out and get pissed up and go to a gig and feel like they've got that escapism you know and I think a lot of people probably connect with wagons so much because maybe you provide that for a lot of guys you know and i feel like ratio taps into that a little bit even if it wasn't sort of meant for that, for that purpose, you know? <laughs> i think it's just one of those songs I, I remember writing it i remember where i was when i wrote kind of wrote the words i just remember it being it came out really easy and it just sort of flowed out and i remember feeling really good about writing it um i don't think i was trying to get a message across I was just, I was just kind of writing, kind of writing what I was thinking. Mm. I don't know, it's hard. It was such a long time ago. It, yeah, it didn't definitely didn't have a, some songs I could tell you even off the first album, you know, that had a, a definite point. I was trying to make a point, you know, I was saying something. But that song, it just kind of, just about feeling. Yeah, you're right. It's about feelings, I think, and just. And, and then I took it to the lads, as you do, you probably do with songs. I take all the lyrics to the lads and I think, you've no idea how it's going to go. And then we just played it and everyone just lit up and went, this, this just sounds great. I was like, oh, nice one. <laughs> That's a <laughs> result got, then. I got away with it. <laughs> yeah, I got away with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. In 2017, weird. Massive Wagons um, became one of those uh, front runners for the new wave of classic rock movement. At this point, um, you brought the uh, back to the stack out for uh, the Teenage Cancer Trust, but yeah. um, also as a tribute to, of course, Rick Parfit. Yeah. 
How did that conversation happen regarding yeah. wanting the band to to give that tribute? Well, well, it was it was around. It was after he died. He died at Christmas on Christmas Eve, I think, that year. And and it was the first practice back after Christmas. Adam had uh, obviously he'd just been he'd been messing around. He'd messing around with his guitar and, and he'd been listening to some quote, I think. And he said, I've, "I remember him saying, I've, I've come up with this. I've come up with this riff. It sounds so status quo. It's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know if we should use it, you know, because it's, it, it might just it might just be the the final nail in the coffin uh, for the core <laughs> comparison." And I was like. Well, I said, just give it me anyway, and then uh, wrote a song about Rick Parfit. <laughs> but I thought, I thought, what better way to take a, a Quoll riff than to try and make a Quoll riff? People say that sounds like Quoll, but to write a song about Quoll would kind of would kind of ease off the Quoll comparison, if you like. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and, he, and he and he just died, and like he was a legend, and he was a just a just a guy I kind of admired. You know, he was a bit of a. Jack the Ladder, he was a bit of a maniac, and he was always like the loose cannon in the band. Just, I just thought he was ace. And uh, well, you know, he's given us loads of music over the years. I just thought it'd be nice to write write a bit of a tribute song to him. Really, again, again, you write these things and take them to the lads, and you think, are they going to like it? Are they going to dig it? If they don't, that's fair enough. I don't, I don't really bothered, but we did loved it, and uh, and we recorded it. And it didn't go on an album. We we put it out uh, because it was it was between albums, and we wanted to kind of. Um, we were going to make a video for, for the song Nails off Welcome to the World, but the album had been out too long and we thought, it's not really relevant, but we weren't doing anything. So we're like, why don't we just record this song on its own as a one-off? And, and I remember I used to watch the uh, Teenage Cancer Trust uh, gigs out of The Who and Noel Gallagher and Eddie Vedder and, and all that. And I thought, well, you know, why not? Kid, you know, it's, there's no nobler cause, really, I didn't think at the time. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put it out and... Uh, Give the money to that charity, which was uh, which was great, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really cool balance of loads of different things, you know. Um, I mean, going going into sort of the next stage of where he was at at that point. So being from Knox myself and being into like Blackberry Smoke and and Rise oh yeah, and Earache have always been like a cool label for me, you know. Like you said, but going back to that new wave of classic rock thing, they were kind of the the label that I always you know looked at as part of the that journey you know um, I mean you guys obviously signed to them in I think it was October 2017 how did that change things for, for you and the boys oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah mass- massively I mean I mean, it, years before that like like you like you said Earache were like they were just like that next level label to me and they were like if, if we could get signed to Earache that w- I would be so happy you know that, that we were signed to a label called Off Your Rocker which, which, which were great but Earache were that just this just as cool, you know, all these cool bands and this cool reputation, Blackberry Smoke, massive fans of them. Um, and, and it just changed everything, everything for us. Yeah, we just, um, I mean, to be honest, people, you get that age old debate, generally from people who aren't in bands and, and generally know fuck all, they, they talk about, <laughs> oh, fucking labels, what do you need a label for? The, the label is the monster, you know. Uh, we were going to give it, we were going to knock it on the head. We had no more albums to release with Off Your Rocker, so we, we're really feeling a bit sort of jaded and a bit miserable, so we probably knocked it on the head. But actually, it was actually back to the stack. Digby, who runs Eric, emailed, uh, messaged me on Instagram, fucking Instagram, and uh, and, and said, I've heard it back to the stack on Planet Rock. Um, do you want to release your next album with us? <laughs> that was it. No. I was like, who the fucking hell's Digby? <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was some sort of joke. What's him doing? Messaging the, the, the owner of this label is messaging me on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, I was I found out it wasn't a joke, and uh, yeah, it took a while. We ironed a few things out, but if it hadn't have been for that, we wouldn't be doing this now. So what did we have to? Had nothing to lose, you know. Need and Amid have got access to professional opinion. Then we had we had just had instant access to all this. Pro- we, had, we just had instant access to all these professionals, you know, these these opinions and PR and a world of stuff we never knew about. It was this, no brainer. No, but for me personally, like with Rivers, like if 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 Eric ever came knocking, it'd be a bit of an emotional moment for me because I bet it feels like it's like like you say because there's so many bands you can link to it. It feels like you know you've reached that kind of climactic point a little bit, and it's nice that Back to the Stack gave you that, you know, that you kind of just made that decision and kind of put all the proceeds to the Teenage Cancer Trust, but it kind of rewarded you and the boys and took you onto that next bit of the journey. So that's cool. Mm. Yeah, I mean. I mean, to be honest, as, as cheesy as it sounds, <laughs> when I think about it, you know, we put this song out about Rick Parfit, who just died, and it was that song 
which then allowed us the connection to E-Rake. We're on playing rock music. He died. This is going to fucking sound. Um, what made, what, what enabled us to carry on doing what we're doing about the, the guy, you know, when he died. So, yeah. No, it's cool, man. You cut out a little bit, but I, I get where you're going with it. You know, it's that kind of. You didn't, you didn't do the corny line. I thought you was gonna do. I thought you was gonna full on go like, you know, like Rick Parfit died, but Massive Wagons kind of like got to live on. You know, from it. You know, like, I thought, I thought you were going full like, full like. Back. That's that's. <laughs> that's essentially what I was gonna say, but I just didn't want to say that. I was trying to make myself sound cool. By, by saying that yeah I fucked I fucked you yeah. up though I fucked <laughs> you up okay, I've done all your hard work and then I came in and just fucking uncalled you it. said it didn't you yeah I fucked <laughs> it man I'm sorry <laughs> Um, so, so right. as said um, in this week's show, we're we're chatting about charismatic singers. Um, you've obviously got quite a distinctive energy and uh, identity um, as a frontman. Um, did this develop over time, or was this just like a natural thing from day one for you? Have you always been a complete knob? Question seven. <laughs> Does it take a lot of practice? Uh, I don't. I don't know, mate. To be honest, I mean, uh, I mean, it's weird, you know, because we've played with a lot of bands, and, and a lot of bands have guitar player frontmen, which mm. is kind of a different ball game altogether, you know. I know when I was playing bass guitar in that cover band, it was almost like you had something to hide behind. I didn't have to perform because people in the crowd knew I was concentrating on what I was doing. But when I first started singing, and, and you have a mic stand, first gig I was, fuck, fuck, you can't, you can't hide behind it. And everyone's looking at you because you're at the front. So it's a case of sink or swim, isn't it really? You've got to, I don't know, for, for a long while, it's, it's really awkward and hard making yourself sort of perform if you like or develop a style or rip people off and do stuff i don't know but i, I found i had to do that i couldn't stand still uh and it's still it's still difficult you still got to work at it but i don't know you just got to stop giving a fuck what people think and, and and have faith in the fact that people like your music and are there to watch you for a reason you know then you know you like you like what you do so have faith in what you do mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I, I suppose it helps being a bit of a clown um <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. The older you get, the less you give a fuck about what people think. So you think that helps. That's the best advice you can give anyone that's in a band and struggling to find sort of where they're at is to is to just have faith that the people are there are there because you fucking dig what you're trying to do. Yeah, enjoy it, man. They're not there, they're not there to throw stuff at you, are they? They haven't paid they haven't paid a lot of money to come and boo, have they? They want they want to be entertained and and they want to. I think you know they're not doing it. They're not up there, so they can only have admiration for people on that stage. I could whenever I watch people, it's like fair fucks. Even if I don't like the music, I can say fair play. There, he's he believes in what he's doing, you know, and that's that's fantastic. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think that really comes across, man. So obviously, towards the end of 2017, as you said earlier, we saw your first and only departure from the band. Joining uh, from my own experience with me and the boys in Rivers, like when we lo- when we um, replaced Hallam on bass, it was it was we were the same. We'd never had to replace anyone before, and it was quite a difficult process for us because you know we, we had to kind of ingrain Sam into the DNA of the band and and the family. Um, how did this impact on the band, and how was the process of recruiting the next member? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It was a tough one. Carl, Carl had been with the band eight, eight years. Wow. Um, so he, he went for whatever reason. Uh, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we, we, we went through a lot. We went through a lot of a lot. Of the, the prospect of trying to find somebody was like, I mean, I mean, this was this was right as we were signing with Era. This was like wow. right at the same time this was going down with Carl. At the exact same time, we were like. This couldn't have happened at a worse time, really. Um, and we didn't relish the prospect of trying to find somebody new. We come from... It's, it's just the arsehole of nowhere. There's, 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 not many, there's not many people around here we could call upon. Uh, so we thought, should we, should we try... I mean, we had, we'd made quite a lot of contacts in, in the sort of scene. So we thought, should we try and... somebody? Like, for instance, the Black Spiders are already split up. So there was Ozzy from the Black Spiders. We thought, he lives in Doncaster. We know him. He's a great guitar player. We'll approach him, and then there was another guy that, that called the Rev Paul, who used to play in the Towers of London, the guitar player, yeah. who we who we know, 
who's, who's from Morecambe. So he thought, he lives in London now. I thought, maybe we should go with him. People don't always have to be from the same place anymore to play in a band together. But we just wanted to, we wanted somebody who could practice with us, who we could gel with, who, who could write songs with, uh, flipping amp. And they were playing like, um, all stole the covers like Thin Lizzy covers and I was like this guy's there this guy gets it playing UFO and you know these, these um, Rory Gallagher you know we were just like why do, these, I, mean, I mean don't get me wrong he was about 10 years younger than everyone else which is a little bit kind of off-putting because we thought you know it's going to be it's going to be like being in a band with his dad but um, don't know he was just brilliant he just fit the bill when we asked him and yeah he was bang up for it and he's just brought a new dimension he's a brilliant guitar player He's got pride in all, in pride in what he does. He started, I mean, he joined when we wrote uh, Full Nelson, so he didn't really contribute to that. A few little bits and pieces, but House of Noise, he, he wrote uh, four or five songs off that album are all easy. We lost you a little bit. I think we'll be able to, to edit, edit it together, really. I mean, you're saying, you're saying towards the end, he, he contributed kind of like four or five songs to House of Noise. and that. Yeah, was, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he did, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He's, he's, a, he's a revelation. It fits the band well, man. It fits, it fits you guys really well. I think it's a solid match. Yeah. Well, I, th I, th I think when, it, it, when you're replacing somebody in a band, it's just so nerve-wracking because you just do not want to end up getting the wrong guy and have it, and make them thinking, this is just knackered the job. We're going to have to get rid of this guy or carry on or whatever. You just want to have to make the right decision the first time, you know. And luckily, luckily we did. That's cool. Um, so 2018 and uh, 2020 saw the release of Full Nelson and House of Noise, um, with the latter debuting at uh, number eight in the UK charts. Having formed the band 11 years before, how proud are you with this Madame. moment of, of getting uh, uh, a debut in the top ten of the UK charts? <clears throat> yeah, it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. Uh, <laughs> It must be a big moment. Yeah, no. Which is a rock band, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and those, and those last, those, those last few positions in that chart. It's like a roller coaster. That chart. You go in like on. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't really understand completely how it works. You go in on a Monday, I think. You like into the midweek. We went in at like eight or nine or whatever eight whatever it was and then and then as the week rolls on everybody else thinks you're that, at that number but you're going up and down we went out of the chart to about number 12 and then the next day we're down to 11 then to 10 and then like on the final day we're like looking at who who's above us who's below us you've got all the people all the people that are like at number 13 14 15 who are the streaming artists whose numbers don't get added on until the end of the week because you know at the end of the week fucking uh, uh, Lewis Capaldi and whoever else is just going to their numbers are going to come in and it's just going to sweep the rest of you out of the, out of the charts so you've got to make sure that the sort of the last three, you're you're the front runner, you know, because you're going to get swept away. There's us, Javis Cocker, two toss pots from Westlife, <laughs> uh, and who are the fuck they were called? I don't know. West Boys or some shit. Um, some of the fucking rap fucker. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we're 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 all, we're all trading places. And the last day, we did the uh, I think we did that that run. We did we did the, we did the run on the the, the treadmill for uh, for Mind, and uh, we just we just pushed it as hard as we could. And everybody just came through, and we couldn't believe it when it when we came in at like nine, and the, and there was there was like literally less than twenty at sales between us and number twelve, and and, and, as, and as amazing as twelve would have been, it's the top ten is just like kind of like top ten man, proper man, you know. But yeah, there's literally no numbers between. There was another band called Bury. Is it Bury Tomorrow or yeah, metal I think, band? I think they got. I think, yeah, I think I think I think they got a couple of weeks before they got number number ten, and there was 11, 11 albums sold between them and number eleven. That's wow. how close it is. Unbelievable, isn't it? Mad. Mm. But yeah, no, it was it was amazing. And and I mean, again, I want to sound really cheesy here, but we we've been going we've been going like 10, 11 years now, and like you say, it's great to still be connected to all of those bands that are kind of been got. Uh, going since we started and to show people that it can be done you know that you can't you can do it you know it's not i'm not driving a fucking jaguar or anything uh, but you cut out a little bit there but i was just let viewers know you was just talking extensively about your renault passat 
and how, and how, how comfy it is in the boot space. Because you cut literally the point where you're like, I'm not driving a Jaguar or anything. And there's a little bit of cut out. So I assumed you just started talking about your, your, your family car. Yeah, my Smith Max is what it is. Beautiful, man. Now, like I say, for, for your, your big inspiration to me and the boys in Rivers, man, obviously we, we, we get, I mean, we've got love for each other, but, you know, it shows, like you say, you was at that, uh, nearly a point where you kind of decided to pack it all in, and then, like, a few years down the line, you're fucking debuting at number Definitely. 10. It's mad, it's mad how the world works, isn't it? You know what, I, I've, I've come to figure over the years as well, we've we've come up, we've, we've discovered... A, Bands that bands that succeed, there seems to be that number ten. Ten years, ten years seems to be for rock bands. Unless you're a band that are made or an overnight success, you're made by somebody. Then seems to be ten. Ten years is how long you have to keep going before. I, I saw a thing with Lizzie Hale recently, and she said we were going. Ten, they were going ten years and getting nowhere. Then suddenly people realised these people aren't going away, and suddenly they just became popular. Uh, Biffy Biffy Clyro, another one, ten, eleven yeah. years, five albums before they got anywhere. It's like. I always said that Biffy Clara put five five albums out, I think, before they went massive. I said, well, if I can't give it five albums, then, you know, if we're still not getting anywhere after that, well, I'll knock it on the head. But definitely. So we always try to keep going. Yeah, that's it, man. You got you got to keep trying, haven't you? I mean, it was. I, we always try and be positive after obviously what's been a, a shit twenty twenty. I mean, what's the plans for yourself and the Wagons Boys in in twenty twenty one? Fucking hell! Uh, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Becoming a daycare centre. <laughs> Seeing him, see Max. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you, do you know what? I've started writing a. I started writing a book uh, a while ago. Oh, I kind of thought. I thought. I kind of thought. I want. I want to kind of write whether anybody be interested in it or not. I don't really know, but I want to write down what we've done and like some stories and kind of write, kind of document Wagon's history for ourselves, if nobody else. And uh, I did it for a while and then sort of knocked it on the head for about eight months. And then the last few weeks, I've just been absolutely mad on it. I've not stopped every day. I'm just writing stuff. And it, it's getting to that point now where it's kind of fun to write about things. Uh, so, so I'm sort of doing that. I mean, there's like 10 years to write about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know what else really that's up to our management uh, sitting around making content about flipping I don't know drinking I don't know just making content videos it's just weird it's just all <laughs> the whole world's on its head isn't it mm. yeah fucking making videos thing, going live doing live streams and you can't talk to people and I don't know it's, it's a novelty at first I didn't I didn't mind it it was kind of like right let's get stuck in Let, let's let's see what we can we can do here but now it's just like fucking hell <laughs> we wits end well, you, to, to be fair, like not to not to have a go or anything, but listening to you boys kind of gave me my first sprout of fucking darkness about not gigging. Because like, <laughs> when, when, when we was chatting to you about you coming on the show, I, I said to Ryan, like, I started listening to to House of Noise in the van. And I said because because um, obviously we played with you in Wolves, sort of like yeah, I mean, reasonably close. Yeah, reasonably close to when things started to kind of start getting shut down and it was a, such a fucking good gig and obviously listening to you boys in the van just took me back to that 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 time you know and obviously that community around everyone being there and and mm. just how good a gig it was you know so yeah I've, it's, it's only just started to hit me hard but i mean you, you've been doing a lot you touched on then you've been doing a lot in terms of is it patreon that you guys are doing yeah well it's kind of odd really it came along at the right time that we, we talked about it before the lockdown and it just gave us a massive excuse to um to get it going it was kind of adam's idea really it's kind of that whole uh that whole kind of fan club type thing like bands had fan clubs back in the day didn't they? the iron maiden fan club and, and whatever else and it, i don't know it's never never was never really a thing i don't think for a long time and we just thought well the scene's strong and we have a strong fan base and why can't we do something adapt that and put it online and yeah you know people people sign up and pay a subscription and we create content and exclusive stuff and give them exclusive things and, you know, history and videos and go live with them. Um, just, just with those guys, um, do all sorts of things. It's, it's just about being creative really. I mean, we did, the only downside is we did, we did when we launched it, we had like some pri private like gigs for Patreon people. We'd have like the Patreon bash just for those people and like a barbecue. We all get together and stuff, but at the moment, those things are on, on hold, but you know, people love it. People love getting involved, and uh, really, really fortunate that people do. Really, yeah, mm. yeah. 
That's cool. Um, so finally, a question that I like to ask everybody that comes on. Um, obviously, in, in your case, though, you've you've already toured with the likes of Status Quo and Leonard Skinner. Um, so we'll kind of leave them out. But if you if you could tour with one band from the past and one band from the present, who would they be? <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> everybody says Everybody goes bloody hell. <laughs> you don't want to say somebody shit, do you? Uh, <laughs> fucking hell! A band, a band from the past. Mm. I think Scorpions. Free band been, bill. Scorpions would have been good. Free band bill. Yeah. Scorpions would have been good. I think I like I like I like Scorpions. Eighties uh, sort of metal. I just think they'd have been absolutely. In, an insane bunch of guys to knock around with. Uh, Scorpions um, or Van Halen. I mean, that's another one that they'd have been. I'm sure they would have been a lot of fun. Um, a band from the present. <sighs> Fucking hell, fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just a tough one, really, because I mean, I think about bands that I personally would like to tour with, mm. or a band I think our band would fit well with, would go down well with. I'd like to tour with Volbeat. I quite like. I like Volbeat. I think they're great. Yeah, I like Clutch work, as well. I, I, well, I think they have that kind of. They have that kind of metal. They have. They're like a multi-side band, a bit like yeah. us. They have all sorts of sounds. I think we're a, we're a hard band to kind of define. We kind of just play all sorts of crap. They have like a rockabilly, metal, punk, fifties kind of greaser kind of thing going on. You know, I, I think they're really cool, Volbeat. I can't understand a word he says, but you don't need to understand the word he says, do you? Because no. they're good. That good. Uh, Clutch, I, I really like Clutch. They seem to be my go-to band. I, I never listened to Clutch for years, and then all of a sudden, just started listening to them, and I just can't stop listening to them. They're another band that... that went for years, didn't they? And just fucking broke. Yeah. And yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Volbeat or Clutch, I would say, if right. if I could pick any modern day band, really. So we've got Scorpions yeah. or Van Halen, and then Volbeat or Clutch. Mm. Yeah, so. <laughs> and then Wagon, I'm not going to pick him one band. <laughs> I was headlining, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but apologies, Baz. <laughs> Baz, just as a final thing before we close off, who's, who's your um, who's your ultimate inspiration as a front man? Hmm. Who's your go to guy, man? <laughs> Fucking hell. You're calling him out now, aren't you? The ultimate, my ultimate inspiration as a front man. <sighs> Well, I mean, I draw, I draw kind of loads of inspiration, really. I, I, I was really inspired by Roger Daltrey for a, lot, a long time. I, I'm a big fan of the Who's com- for a long time. Uh, you and Roger in terms I of think like, stage stuff, in terms of the energy. Physique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always thought, I, I, I think the Who are fucking unbelievable. Live live at the Isle of Wight is just one of my favourite uh, live gigs ever I just think they were unstoppable then just in, unbelievable in, a, in a, um, a Woodstock so probably Roger Daltrey uh, I always this is going to sound really really strange I, I was always a big I was, I'm, I'm a big I always I've loved, I love Oasis I think they're great I don't care what anybody says uh, they get, get a lot of hatred from people <laughs> they kind of don't like them because they don't like the fans for some reason and that's a stupid fucking reason to not like a band because they don't like the fans that makes no sense at all to me. And I, I, I grew up, I was 16 when Oasis were kind of massive. And Liam Gallagher was this, just this fucking 100% maniac. Not everybody, <laughs> loads of people hated him and everyone, loads of people of a certain age loved him. I just thought he was brilliant. He was just like a breath of fresh air to me at 16 years old anyway. Uh, so yeah, I think Liam Gallagher is great. Um, I think he's a bit, I don't, it's not really so much anymore, but you know, he's got to win a living somehow, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, Roger, probably Roger Dodge, to be honest, yeah, I would say. It took a long time uh, to get ever, to that, didn't it? Have you ever seen the Dolce Roll? It's not like a sandwich. I fucking, somebody told me about this the other day, right? At Live Aid, when, who, who, when the Who paid it at Live Aid, Roger Dolce does a fucking roly-poly for no reason <laughs> in the middle of Won't Get Fooled Again. And it's, the fucking, it's not known as the Dolce Roll. I'll send it to you. <laughs> It's this fucking. It's, this, it's the new thing now. We yeah, 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 make James just fucking are just telling everyone about the Dolce Roll. <laughs> I'm gonna pass it on. <laughs> pass it on. Keep, we've got to spread the word, man. We've got to spread the word about the Dolce Roll. But yeah, definitely see character act. Character I'm gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. Next time we fucking see, you, I'll, just, I'll 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 come up to you and I go do the do the roll. <laughs> do the Dolce Roll. 
The mills, the mills do roll. <laughs> Love yeah, it. Right, folks, thanks ever so much for chatting. We to always us, talk. Mate. Just we, we always talk. Hey, hey, no worries. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, keep keep up the good work, and uh, this is uh, it's a great thing you got going. No, I appreciate it, man. Thanks ever so much. So if you've not checked out Massive Wagons, their latest album, House of Noise, is available now. And obviously, they're doing the Patreon thing at the minute to get through the current COVID-19 dog shitness. So make sure you check that out. Give them the hand and give them the love. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, Baz. <laughs> see you later, lads. And that was Baz from Massive Wagons. You know, you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. And I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, Baz. But he's a bloody nice bloke, isn't he? He's solid gold. Um, yeah, I, I love Baz. And I think even when you, when you, when you, you, we've seen interviews with him before, and when we was chatting to him, I think he, even away from the stage, I do get the vibe that some vocalists carry them with them, like it's an extension of who they are. And I get that mm. from Baz. You know, I feel like he's. I feel like where he belongs is is perhaps on the stage. Yes. You know, and I think that's probably why a lot of people support wagons is because they want to be able to get them to that place, you know, where they all truly want to be. Well, I think I think wagons in general, are, um, they're a very relatable band. Aren't they? Yeah, there's that that's that fight against sort of that rebellion mm. against the system and. And and you know working all week and let me put that really well you know in an interview years ago where he said you know people fucking work hard in shit jobs they ate all week mm. and rock music gives them the chance at the weekend to turn off forget about all of that shit that they've had to deal with during the week <laughs> get pissed and and have a great night you know yeah. and I love that I yeah. love that because for me it's the ultimate release you know and and the fact that wagons can provide that for for people is is badass man yeah doing it. Pretty damn successfully at the minute. Yeah, they're killing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, for those that um, that haven't checked out Massive Wagons, yes. um, so they they brought out uh, the most recent album, House of Noise, last year, uh, right at the start before everything, the entire year went to shit. Um, but they're doing a lot in terms of their online presence at the minute, so go and check that out. I think they've got a Patreon account where you can learn all about the band and Baz and everyone. Um, so I'd definitely get behind that and support that, and hopefully we'll. We'll be seeing them at a show some point of this year. Yes, yeah. it'd be great to uh, link up with them and all the other people that we've uh, we've spoken to so far. Yeah, there's going to be a big rock and roll party at the end of this. I tell you that for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, tune in next week for a new person. Yes, as we're having always. A, we're having a new segment at the end of each month, aren't we? Yep. Where we have a band that we feel. Um, people may not have heard of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think that's any discredit to no. whichever bands you want. We just feel, I'll tell you the best thing is we feel like this band deserves a spotlight. Yes. This we, is, this we is it, like it a spotlight them. episode. Yes, 100%. On, uh, a brand new group of people that you are yet to discover, we we think. Yeah, we'll, Either that or we'll, we'll say and you'll be like, no, I know who these are. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, check us out. If you're yeah. not subscribed to us on YouTube, subscribe, click the bell so you get a notification every time we have a new episode. We're also on Spotify as well. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook and Insta. And we we'll love you and we'll see you next week. Yes, see you next week. <laughs>